The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with a Dog. You make me laugh. Oh, yeah. Good morning, folks. It is a special Saturday edition, Saturday, April 22nd. Good morning. It's great to have you here. Uh, I'm a little tired. It's been a late, you know, out late Friday night gigging. And uh, got my fresh coffee and ready for a thrilling morning show with a great, I don't know how to describe it, he's a celebrity, because he's more than just a comedian or a musician. He's a major motion picture film star and a writer and producer of said motion picture films. And he's uh, a uh, star of a streaming television show called The Highwayman, where uh, he helps people. And he's also uh, the host of the most uh, watched um, cooking show on YouTube. And it's my pleasure to have him here today. Henry Phillips, as I mentioned, is all those things. And you know how difficult it is getting comedians on the morning show like this so because of the lifestyle and you know henry for him right now he's out in, in uh, california it's six o'clock in the morning for him right now and being a, you know a comedian and living the lifestyle he does that means he was probably out drinking and coking and you know banging uh hollywood stars till four in the morning to get up after two hours of sleep to be with us this morning uh, so it's a, a real privilege and pleasure to finally get him on the morning show. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome back Henry Phillips. Henry, welcome. Good morning. Good to well, see you. Well, you look uh, very awake for this early in the morning. Well, I have, well, not coffee. Uh, I'm doing tea because I ran out of coffee, but uh, this is will do. My coffee's tasting a little bit like uh, vodka and cranberry juice for some reason this morning. I don't... Oh. I, I, just, I wonder uh, what would make it taste like that. Probably the the sugar I put in or the half and half or whatever, but maybe I'll the deal vodka. With it. Yeah. Uh, How have so, you been? Uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I was trying to answer. I was trying to think about your intro that you gave me, where you didn't really quite know how to uh, describe me. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I'm I'm 53 now. I've done a lot of different things. I think the way to describe it is, I honestly never really 
took off in any one thing. So I always kind of had to try another thing. And then all of a sudden I find myself at 53 and it's like, wow, I have a pretty wide array of a body of work out there that ranges from uh, stand-up comedy to music to uh, webisodes, now um, live streams. It's sort of like you just keep on going. And whereas some friends of mine started getting really successful either at music or comedy or something real early on, and they've never done anything but that. Right. And that's well, great. I'm glad. But uh, for me, I just always had to jump to a whole different thing because nothing worked. You know, the paradigm of the world has changed. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, it <laughs> I, I love that expression. Back in the day, it, it behooved you. Look, this is me talking like a behoovement guy. Uh, it behooved <laughs> you to stay in one thing for a lifetime and get good at it and become an expert at it. But in today's world, the economy, whether it's arts, entertainment, or the corporate world, it behooves you to be very diversified in your tasks and skills. So is there yeah. one that you love more than any of the other? Is music your first love or is comedy your first love? Oh, I really love music. Although I don't know if you're like me, but uh, hold on. Uh, uh, my, my cat does this. He goes to the bathroom and then he uh, does this uh, war cry. I think it's because he's trying to warn others that predators might sense that we're near and it's time to hightail it out of here. But it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't do any good here. But anyway, all right. So I'm going to try to ignore that. I'll, I'll block it out. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, music, it's really hard to compete with, although I have found that more and more I'm going back and listening to music I grew up with as opposed to seeking out new music. Mm. You know, I'll put on the Yes album or Fragile or something, and, uh, and I feel a little guilty doing that because I'm like, there's probably new stuff that people are making out there, but what does that mean? Is, are my tastes just frozen in a certain uh, era of my my youth or what but so that's that's one thing but but then also going in um i i love uh funny things i love when funny stuff happens i love to tell the stories afterward forever and i love sharing those stories with other comedians and hearing their stories so that's where uh the comedy thing comes in um so i like them both yeah so i uh, so do i you know i i have a great affinity for for both i i now i'm enjoying going to uh comedy shows more than i ever did uh when i was young because i have time to do it now uh mm -hmm. but the problem is with me i'm an old man and comedy rooms are generally filled with the oldest person in the room aside from me is probably 45 and here comes this old geezer in by himself and people are always looking like is he a cop what's what's with the <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I went out in Hollywood uh, a few nights ago to meet with my friend Jim Hamilton. And that was he's about 43, I guess, maybe 45. And I'm 53. And yeah, he was the second oldest and I was number one. Well. And everybody else was like 28, you know, and it's I don't know. I mean, in L.A., it's it's cool. I mean, I think they just sort of realize it's a big hodgepodge, but it's really weird when I was on the road and I'd go to a place like Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and you finish a show and then you want to go to the bar. Everybody's like, what, what are you doing here? Like, this yeah. is a place where college kids are going to meet girls. And then yeah. and I'm just like, I just want to go out and have a beer and meet people, whatever. <laughs> Harvey Wallbanger for me and a cappuccino for my pop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, but, I uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, but you said you did a gig, uh, 
recently. So what what uh, what kind of venues are you doing? You you play bass, right? No, no. I uh, in the band I'm with, I play guitar mostly. Oh, nice. Um, uh, I play so many different kind of gigs. The most recent one was a restaurant gig and uh, a mafia restaurant. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know New York, New York, uh, typical South Shore of Long Island. Um, uh, you know, are you gonna sing or what? Uh, that yeah. kind of, uh, but that stuff not, scares me. Yeah, I play a lot of beaches now. Coming up, I'm excited about the beach season opening up here and and playing those because those. All the South Shore beaches on Long Island have built these like amphitheaters where it's really fun to uh, play. Lots of people come out, you know, family type people from two to 92. It's a great, great time in the summer here. I'm looking forward to yeah. that season kicking off now. But uh, over the wintertime, we'll play any place and, you know, dive bars to uh, concert halls or whatever will have us. Uh, you know, I just uh, I went out. Uh, my buddy just bought a place in Forest Hills. And uh, which I guess is Queens, but maybe yes. technically you're on the island sort of too. I don't know. He was trying well, to Queens and Brooklyn are both on Long Island, but they don't like to be associated with Long Island. Yeah, but that's what he was telling me. And so I was like, I, it was hard for me to get a straight answer of what exactly <laughs> Long Island is. It depends on who you ask. Yeah. But I uh, got to say that Forest Hills area was really that was really nice. It's really, really nice. And but it looks very um religious that that area all the buildings look like monasteries uh oh, it's a it's a little they're not monasteries but they look like monasteries but uh well, forest hills tennis stadium a big big place for comedy in the summer i'm surprised you haven't been there um but you no, know uh, what forest hills is you say for, forest hills tennis uh stadium uh, i mean i'm just this summer, I know just some uh, stuff. I know Bill Burr is going to be doing three nights there. I know. Uh, uh, wow. I'm going to tell my buddy that. Shirt ripper offer guy, uh, Bert uh, Kreischer. Yeah, yeah, Bert Kreischer. <laughs> I'm going to tell my buddy that because he lives right there and he's into comedy. And uh, yeah, we went to a bunch of bars and there was not a lot of church activity happening at those bars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no. You know what? I met a guy. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when we were at the bar, we were ch chatting with a couple there at the end of the bar. Um, and we just got to talking and he, you know, how old are you? Oh, I'm 53. Oh, I'm 53. And then he gives his birthday or his birth month. And I said, that's the same month. And then he gives the day and we found out we were born on the exact same day, same birthday, same year, everything. Oh yeah. And we did a shot and then I couldn't find my wallet. And then I was like, wait a second. Is this a scam? Oh, uh, no. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you looked at your license first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on my 18th birthday, hitchhiking home from the beach, I got picked up by a girl uh, in a Volkswagen bug who was born on the same day in the same hospital room five minutes before me on wow. our 18th birthday. That's crazy. Wow, and that's the only other time I've ever seen that. We were in the same room the day we were born and on our 18th birthday for a ride she gave me. And that was it. We've never. The, if you didn't get laid from that, I don't know. I mean, that's sort of like a layup, you know, I mean. Uh... I thought so. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it didn't work out that way. Uh, she dropped me off. We said goodbye. And that was it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll bet she's thinking about it anyway. I wonder. I wonder if she's still alive. She's all an old lady. And this is the the problem. I mean, when you're my age and you see how well preserved I am. Yeah. Uh, but I'm out there 
you know, be playing rock star, make believe rock star. And these women come up to me after the gig and say, "You." and now I'm thinking I'm talking to somebody's grandmother. And I am talking to somebody's grandmother, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's, I'm talking to my grandmother. Oh, do you remember me? I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't. Oh, we went to <laughs> high school together. It's like, wow, you were old. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that ancient. I mean, yeah, it's just weird. No, you don't come off as an old guy. Right, well, me. thank you for that. But uh, for, for, when you see the people who really are my age, it's like, holy crap, that's old. Am I supposed to be like that? <laughs> I think well, my my, yeah. my partner says you're playing music keeps you young. Uh, you know, it does. I think so. And yeah. I, I mean, one of the bartenders in one of the bars that we went to in Forest Hills, uh, we were talking music and all that kind of stuff. And that guy seemed like he was ancient. And then uh, at the next bar, we talked to some people that were there and they were like, oh, that guy's 38. And I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe working at a bar till 4 a.m. every single night and partaking uh, is not good for your uh, your youthful looks, too. Yeah. I don't know. It's scheduling. I want to talk about that. But since you're bringing up Forest Hills and it seems like you were there recently, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume this was about a month ago when you performed at Forest, uh, up in Connecticut for. Yep. Now- yeah, I was uh, I was opening for Robert Klein in. Uh, oh, boy. Fair, Fair- View or Fairfield. Fairfield. Fairfield, yeah. Connecticut. Uh, and it was absolutely beautiful, though. The whole was great. I started out in Montclair, New Jersey. My cousin picked me up because he lives there at Newark. He picked me up and then uh, went and hung out uh, with a few comedy buddies on Friday night. And uh, fantastic. Joe List did Ari Shafir's podcast and we all uh, traded fun stories. And uh, the next uh, morning did uh, a New York diner and then uh, got on the uh, New Haven train and went up to uh, Fairfield, Connecticut. And that was just beautiful. I mean, the weather was fantastic as you probably remember yeah. about him. And uh, it was just incredible. And I met Robert Klein. Um, That's the first time you met him. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have friends that are mutual friends with him. Rick Overton. I was able to drop his name and, uh, I, I did work a week with Joan Rivers once, and that's the only other kind of legendary week. I, I know. You, I you told me about that. But that, yeah. That, that's a, but the Robert Klein thing I was curious about because I am a huge Robert Klein fan. Uh, was growing up. I mean, to me, he was right up there with Colin and Pryor in, in the day. I mean, some people might find that as sacrilege for me even saying that, but I've been trying to get him on the program and I was going to use you. No, I didn't get that. I did not get that tight with him. We just got in, in a green room conversation. You know, he, he was wonderful. He is a New Yorker through and through from what I could tell. Like he, he reminded me, cause you know, my first 10 years of life was in Manhattan and I lived on a hundredth street and he for a while had lived on 103rd street and like West end or somewhere near where I was. And he reminded me just all of a sudden I was back to my child. He reminded me of all the adults that I met at the time. Uh, you know, he's very talkative, uh, very far from being uh, falsely polite or sycophantic or anything. He, he was, uh, you know, very opinionated, um, funny. And, uh, but, 
intelligent, you know, and his comedy was spot on. I mean, he went up, I, he's, I believe in his early eighties yeah, and uh, he just killed it, you know, it, yeah. and everybody laughed so hard. I had some family members there and they said they just laughed throughout the whole thing. And uh, so it was me off though. Your name wasn't on the marquee that night. Was it not? Yeah, no, I think you had to probably look at the, um, wait, how did you know that? I'm just curious. Yeah, you... I, I, I actually uh, stalked the theater because I was going to go. Oh, I see. You went there like the day before or something. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go. I, I actually saw Joe List that week, too. Uh, oh, really? Is, yeah. But so, oh, yeah, I, that's right. He was going up uh, the next day. He was yeah. doing like a casino or something. Right, yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, but I... I passed by the theater and I saw the marquee and I was like, damn, Henry's name's not on it. And the other thing, everybody else I know in comedy, and I know a lot of people in comedy, they're all self-promotional whores. I mean, they're out there doing this all the time. I think you dropped one thing that, I'm going to be playing with Robert Klein next month in Fairfield, Connecticut, and that was it. No, You don't promote I, yourself hardly at all, right? I never want to uh, do it so much that the people that all I'm doing is reaching the same people that already knew about it. Uh, yeah. So it's hard to gauge there, but no, I, I, I've never really enjoyed the self-promotional aspect of this. I mean, I've done it and I've actually done it sort of successfully back in LA in the early days. I mean, I would uh, hand out flyers. I called friends from high school. I would go to everybody else's show so they'd feel guilty and have to go to mine. Like, you know, you do all those types of things. So I definitely am familiar with that hustle, but at the same time, there, there comes a time in your career where you you uh, don't want, you know, it's like all the people that I admire, I can't see them constantly tweeting about the same show. You know, I mean, I guess they have people that do it for them. You not know? every, not everybody. And I'm not going to drop names here because it's kind of, a, but I, some of the bigger names in comedy I know who are promoting themselves all the time and they i asked you know you got a staff for this because now it's cheap enough that even a local guy can can hire a social media person for him like 75 dollars a month or something yeah uh to do a promotion i never wanted to do that either because i feel like it's personal you know to to be you but i don't know i if i knew it was gonna be perfectly effective then i probably would do it more but i i feel like people anybody who really is a fan and they want to go to the shows they know they know how to find you you know they can go to your website and they but let me, let me also, put that in, the, in the, the website here so people actually know because i'm not sure people do know to go to your website i mean i, I don't forget to do. do i have uh i all i have now is i've got key west florida coming up and i've got uh Fresno, California, and those dates are on there. Um, now, I will say that uh, Joe List is going to come out in June, I believe, to the Improv, and he was nice enough to, to ask me to do a spot on the show, so that's going to be fun. I'm going to have fun doing that. In June, that would be very cool. Uh, you know what? That sounds like it's worth a trip, folks. From yeah, come on out to LA. Hang yeah. out. <laughs> Things are fun out here, finally, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know what? It's such a because it's it's part of the job now. Nobody gets into stand up comedy thinking I want to be a social media uh, and and marketing person. But it's such a, a drag part of the job that you have to do. It's part of the job. 
unless you are got established before social media like you know the big yeah. guys don't have to do it but anybody below that you know top echelon of, of earners I think you have to, it's part of the job and it sucks. It's no fun. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to think of who I follow on Twitter for that kind of stuff. I like Stan Ridgeway a lot. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Oh, I love him. Uh, I follow him, but he's cool. You know, he doesn't, I don't see five times a day that he's performing at some place. He, he, you know, rock stars have to be a little bit aloof, you know? And, uh, and then there's a couple other ones, you know, but, um, yeah, you're always balancing. Well, what the big one for me was selling CDs. Like there was this moment where it's like, well, what's that what's that point where you don't have to be the guy selling your own CDs anymore? Cuz I know Tom Waits isn't out there standing in the lobby <laughs> <laughs> selling his CD. But you know, it's like but there's guys like I remember Jim Gaffigan uh was doing it and I think uh somebody told who was working with him said it. I I gotta, I gotta stop doing this because he was getting too big, and he's standing yeah. in the lobby afterwards selling CDs. So there's really a moment I think where you got maybe once you're in theaters, you shouldn't be selling your own stuff anymore. Well, merch is a tricky thing because yeah. I feel like if you're gonna do merch, you have to be willing to bite the bullet and hire people who are disassociated. You know, they, you, they don't even know you. These are people, they're just your merch booth and you, you don't make eye contact with them. It's like, I'm, I'm here for the meet and greet if that, or I'm the star of the show, yeah. but I'm not the, I'm not hocking t-shirts and CDs and stuff behind. It's a, it's a hard thing. I could never uh, just feel comfortable doing that, but was at a comedy show a week ago and the opener for for the show, or the, actually the host of the show, uh, was terrible. I mean, terrible. He didn't get one laugh for two and a half hours. Uh, wow. But then was standing in the, in the bar as people were leaving and had, selling his CDs. And they weren't even in, like, real jewel cases. They were in, like, the cardboard yeah. cases. Yeah. I felt so bad for the guy. I had to buy two of them. <laughs> because I felt yeah, like, well, maybe that's his strategy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One time, one time I got heckled so bad, I finally just uh, said, you know what? You guys don't like me. I, I don't see any point in standing here. I'm just going to go to the lobby and whatever. I'll be out oh. there. And, you know, and that was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then I went out and everybody bought a CD because they felt sorry for me. Though. <laughs> they were like Southern uh, hospitality. Like, you know what? Give me two of them damn CDs because that was real rude of that person to be yelling at you like that. And, and I was like, you know, maybe this is my thing. I'll go around and guilt people into buying the CDs. Well, but, how, how difficult is that for you as for what you do? Because you're not like the guy who comes out there and, and you know, uh, hey, how's everybody doing? Do I have anybody from Brooklyn here? Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you take a while to set up a song. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be the time where if you're going to get heckled, that's going to be like oh, a, yeah. a, a uh, night killer for you because that's difficult. No. Yeah, the only the only my only hope ever was that there were people that were paying to see me specifically because if they weren't like bachelorette parties and stuff, it was like being on a mechanical bull, you know. And that's what I did for years. And I I watched groups like Flight of the Concords. I was like, well, how did they skip over the whole thing? Like they never had to play for a bachelorette party. They just kind of like just killed it right from the beginning and had a big fan base. But I, I feel like I was out and, you know, 
these clubs and uh, having to really sort of babysit on a late Friday night show. And it doesn't necessarily make you better. It makes you, it might make you better at the skill of keeping people distracted, but uh, you wind up losing a lot of the subtle nuance stuff that you like, you know, but uh, I remember I I was consumed with it. I remember listening to that old stuff uh, from Woody Allen, that amazing uh, audio footage of him, uh, performing back in uh like the 60s or something like that but yeah, i'm just he, like, the whole time i'm going how did he have everybody listening like that it seems like some jackass would have just been like ah blow it out your ass or whatever they said back then I don't know. yeah you know what gets me and comedians often wonder I've, I've heard people say this and i don't think i'm not saying all comedians can't figure this out but i've heard comedians say no and recently Mark Norman said it recently. He said, "No other profession will somebody feel like like if you're you don't go to Hamilton and yell to the stage or something. Oh you don't yeah, go to, no. you know the whole. Oh yeah, I remember uh, Stanhope talking about that back when Cats was the big thing. That's how long ago I, I've yeah that, that observation. Oh, I didn't is, know uh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, re- I remember seeing Doug one time, and uh, there was a bunch of elderly ladies." walking out on him and instead of just walking out and saying we didn't like the show they felt compelled to um yell at him while he was talking and said you know we don't like you and then and and he goes shut up you fucking hole <laughs> that's what he said <laughs> and then he goes why do you feel like that's okay you know when you're going to watch cats or whatever you don't, and you don't like the show. You don't say, "Hey, you stupid, you know, furry cat or whatever." I hate you. You know, you just walk out. But what? Why is it okay? Why do people feel like it's okay to say it to the comedian? It just doesn't make sense. I'll tell you why. I know. I know why. Because of crowd work. Crowd work opens the door for people to feel like you to want have to have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And and chances are, alcohol sales. Oh yeah. But because people get tanked up at, at rock and roll shows too. I never that's hear true. once a girl was in the middle of the crowd. It was a daytime show we were playing, and the girl was telling us we we stink. She was holding a nose. <laughs> and my lead singer doesn't know how to handle that at all. He so he he thought that was a cool thing. Like he was calling her stink. Hey, stink! And. and <laughs> Like she's not saying, you know, th- that is a good thing. She's saying, yeah, yeah. stink. <laughs> but, hey, stink! Come and see us in the dressing room afterwards. You know, or the green room. <laughs> she ended uh, up getting arrested, but. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, no, I I remember, man. This this one, I is hard for me to get over. It was about ten years ago. I was at the Improv in Vegas, and there were two other comics. I'm not going to say their names because they're good guys and. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but we all ate shit that night. Like all three of us just had a terrible set. The MC went up and stank the middle act, uh, you know, who's been doing it 30 years went up and stank. And it was a good comic who did it well. And other times I went up and just ate a shit burger for 40 minutes or whatever I was supposed to do. And then when we're, we're all done, we're out in the lobby and there weren't a lot of people. That was part of it. It was scattered around. It was like a, 300 seater with, with like a hundred people just sort of like on a Sunday or something. So it just was bad. But anyway, we have to stand there in the lobby selling our CD. So we're all lined up and you know, the, the club liked it when the comics came out and greeted people afterward. 
And I remember this one lady walking out and she sees the three of us and she just goes, bad, <laughs> bad. <laughs> and we're just standing there going, you're okay. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we weren't your cup of tea. And she's like, bad <laughs> all of us. And I was like, boy, what, what other job do you have where somebody does that to you? I mean, that was really awful. Yeah, most of my jobs I've gotten, even if it was out of show business, I've had people just looking at me saying bad the whole time. Well, and now that I think <laughs> about it, if you're on Twitter, every other video is some poor uh, fast food employee having that kind of treatment. Getting, no, that. they're getting beat up and almost murdered over oh, it's it. Just it's just terrible. It's insane. I mean, was this always the case or did social media just showing us? That- it could have been happening and we just never saw it. But wow. now we get to see it, you know. But anyway, some yeah. people would say it's new. But I, yeah, I mean, I remember distantly hearing about stuff. Like, did you hear about the guy? Well, yeah, we had the famous thing where the guitar comic beat a guy on the head. Yeah. And that's on YouTube. Right. But that was 40 years ago or wow. whatever. That 30 was, yeah, years ago. Enough. Yeah. 30 years ago, maybe. But um, anyway, I was going to say there's a, there's a club out here in the North la region called docs in uh you should check it out i i know these guys from wichita who came out and they they went specifically to see a band that was there was a bass player who had played with dio and i can't remember the guy's name i might know it if i heard it but uh he wasn't one of the huge ones that i knew from the 80s but um but he was but he had a little band and he showed me footage of this place and it was like a biker band kind of biker bar type thing but it's called Docs Inn, and I got to go there sometime. So if you ever get here, I think that's a place that you might you might enjoy. Yeah, uh, those are my kind of places. I and yeah. biker biker guys love me. Uh, I've had the privilege or um, the misfortune, however you want to look at it, of being hired by Hell's Angels, uh, the president of the Hell's Angels, and the president of the Pagans Club to play those kind of events. Uh, nice. That top secret places in places that the FBI would really be interested in, those kind yeah. of things. <laughs> That's uh, great. Well, this but, place docks in. It's on my list to go over there sometime. Yeah, but uh, bring bring uh, a uh, you know a shotgun rider or something. Somebody go. Yeah. With well, I I tend to avoid trouble. I've been doing that ever since I was in high school. I sort of like avoided uh bullying because i could see it coming from a long way and i would just be like all right i'm gonna move to the other side of the of the quad area yeah uh last time you were here we talked about your guitar playing and how much i admire the way that you you put songs together even your funny song not you know not just as a composer but i admire the musical theory and, and craft that goes into your songs the other day, I had um, Mark Farner on from uh, Grand Funk Railroad, and nice. he's one—he's a guy who is uh, in, into 432. Do you are you familiar with 432? That's a band. No, it's a tuning. You know, oh. uh, you tune to a 440. Oh, instead of 440, I see. You tune so down to a little 432. flat. Yeah, it's not a half step flat. It's down 432. It's like a microtone flatter, but it's medieval tuning. It's kind of like a new age thing. And it's supposed to be more in line with Earth's frequencies. And it's great for spirituality and meditation and all this kind of stuff. But I never tried it. But he swears by it. And he says what got him into it. 
and I was just curious if you ever tried this. Uh, what got him into it was a friend of his called said said you got to try it. He said, "What about it?" And he showed him a video where you put like 440 tuning with an A note turned up all the way as loud as it can get next to a kiddie pool of water, and the water has chop on it like like the ocean, and then yeah. put it at 432, and it's as calm as can be. And there wow. are like videos of uh, like molecules of water that are exposed to 440 and they're all broken up and, and like distorted and the 432, they're perfect, you know, star or perfect circle. Or whatever. Well, I mean, there's something, there is some crossover there with the real hard sciences, you know, like, uh, acoustics. It's fascinating. I mean, uh, I mean, there's, there's physical things happening. It's a, it's waves, you know, vibrations. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I was never familiar with that, but, uh, yeah, I, I tried it on Friday after he was here, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like there's any difference. Like it just sounds so. Just yeah, like, I never, I, I'm never very receptive to those types of things at all. What about, I, I honestly, I can't even tell the difference most of the time between an MP3 and a WAV file. And I feel, I feel <laughs> no, like it's good. No, you shouldn't believe me. That stuff is overhyped. People. Uh, People who say they have that kind of hearing that can hear the difference between a quality MP3 and vinyl, uh, either they have great ears or they're just kidding themselves. I yeah, mean, because like I, I think that a wave file. I think that the point of an MP3 is to take out this this uh, signals that y the human ear can't hear anyway. Right. So yeah. I don't know, but. I don't know enough about it. That's what all the compression's <laughs> about. You're exactly right. Now, open tunings. Do you ever? Uh, 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 I've tuned down to D, um, but that's about it. Otherwise, I get too confused. I, I I've done it where I've I've messed around and played made the whole thing like a G chord. Uh, so I guess that would be taking that both E's and bringing them down to D, and then you've got like your. Uh, B G D and then maybe you do you raise your A up to a B or I don't know but and then that's fun because you you can do slide you know um, you can slide around with with your uh, with your beer or whatever but I don't really do those tunings a lot but it's a good idea though because it probably really takes you out of the, your box and then all of a sudden starts getting you into hearing different uh, right. Some of my favorite singer-songwriters do it, but for me, it just confuses the hell out of me because oh, yeah. it changes the neck, it changes everything, and then I become like I have to learn the instrument all over again. It's a, and I, yeah, is it that guy Wilco? Did I always hear or you know the band Wilco? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, does that. Jeff Tweedy. Is that his name? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but 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 going putting your E string down to a D makes a lot of sense if you're in the key of D because for an acoustic piece or something because you get a real nice low bass note there you know right do you uh, always perform with the guitar when you do comedy clubs or are there times where you go um, lately I I've been if it's just a spot around town I'll go up without the guitar and it took me a long time to get comfortable enough to do that yeah. I got to hide behind it. That's yeah. Uh, I, it's a security blanket for me. Yeah. Like I, I, even when I'm just doing public speaking and I've done a lot of like corporate events where I go in and give speeches to corporations and I take a guitar. I'll, like, are you going to play that? <laughs> yeah, no, it just feels good having something that you know you're good at and it's there. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, in 2013, my buddy Augie Smith 
was playing at the club in Omaha, Nebraska, a funny bone, I think, or something. And then he asked, uh, or I, I asked him, I was like, can you bring me as the opening act? And I won't even do the guitar cause I want to get good at it. And, um, so we did that, but I had the guitar in case I ran into trouble, but it was like a mechanical bull. I was just trying to stand up there the whole time, but every now and then, yeah, like on Saturday night, you know, like I'm 10 minutes in and somebody yells something and I'm like, all right, let's grab the guitar. <laughs> let's do this. So, yeah, but it's, uh, uh, it's really a security blanket for me. And you know what Robert Klein even said, and this is pretty astute of him, um, because he's right and it's true, but he said, I, when you went from doing the stand-up and then you picked up the guitar, I could see uh, your confidence level go up about a hundred percent. And I was like, yeah, well, it makes sense. That's not, I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old, you know, and it, it feels comfortable. Whereas the other stuff is very uncomfortable for me, you know? Well, it's to, to me, I would, the, the meaning I would take away, wow, Robert Klein was paying attention to me. Closely. That was pretty cool. Yeah, closely, close enough that he could tell what was going on with me. That, to me, would be a major thrill in my life. But I mean, uh, Yeah, no, it was an incredible night. And uh, he we talked in the green room about all things comedy and uh, just uh, people that we had in common, going all the way back to uh, New York and the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you, you know, he's a Jewish fellow. Is he aware of your, your rabid anti-Semitism and your <laughs> bagel stuff going on? No, no. He's never seen Punch in <laughs> the Clown. And I want to make sure we qualify that. That's uh, <laughs> In the movie, that was sort of the plot, is that I, <laughs> I get falsely accused of being anti-Semitic. And it was kind of in the vein of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Ricky Gervais, like that whole kind of style of like you're the mild-mannered person who just tries to do something and then it sort of escalates into getting a mob turned against you. That's a... Uh, I, I don't know if, if Curb was out, but that is definitely... Uh, you're right about that style. Yeah, no, it was. I, I was a big fan and, uh, and Ricky Gervais had a show, uh, Extras at the time, that was like that too. And... Um, but yeah, I, I always love that thing of just like the Bob Newhart thing where you just try to be, yeah. there's a great Bob Newhart episode where, uh, everybody believes in this. If you see this great white elk or something like that, it was when it was in the later show and they were up in the, up in Maine or something. Vermont, like that, yeah. Or Vermont, yeah. And, uh, everybody believed that if you saw it, it meant good luck. And he was like, you know, very mild man. And he's like, well, I don't want to, you know, uh, sound cynical but this is a superstition it doesn't have it's not based in any kind of reality i don't want you to have a bad you know winter because you didn't see this thing. anyway then everybody of course was against him and then uh he winds up hitting the thing and killing it with his car and then he, <laughs> you're like you knew we believed in it and you killed it you went out and killed it and he's like well no i didn't you know that I just love that the mild-mannered person just suddenly finding themselves in the worst possible situation. The movie. This is me. This is me. I'm that new heart character because uh, I get triggered by people with their motivational stuff and being, ha you know, just, I don't know why. If, if it makes people happy, I should back off. But I feel like people get caught up in that imaginary, whatever religious belief they have. 
it, yeah. it irks me to the point where I would be that Bob Newhart guy who ends up running over the sacred idol or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's that's always the kind of humor that I like. And when we wrote that plot line, Greg Viennes, um, my uh, screenwriting partner in that, uh, we it was right about the time that Michael Richards did his rant. Oh yeah. yeah. And everybody was getting busted. It was like the open season, you know, it was uh Mel Gibson. And then I think dog, the bounty hunter and all these people. And, and our and idea was, wouldn't, Don that be, Amos, yeah. wouldn't it be funny if somebody got the same, you know, cause I, I think those guys justifiably got roasted by the mob, but wouldn't that be funny if somebody got all that treatment from the mob, but they didn't do anything. It was just a, some kind of telephone game thing. It was a misunderstanding. Yeah. And that, that was what we were really trying to go for. Um, that's uh, now I, cause the explanation of, of, you know, things kind of based on real life experiences, the one with funny guitar boy shows up and, and you're oh, yeah. in, in that town has that ever happened to you in real life? Like where you're, you're booked and you, it, like there's too many of us guys with guitars here tonight. Yeah, especially in the second movie. I think almost everything in that is true, except for the uh, the love scene. That was sort of borrowed from a story that my dad told me about a guy that he grew up with or something. But, um, but yeah, no, uh, the funny guitar boy thing. What was that? Uh, you you went to a, a the hotel and you oh, showed oh, no, up I, and they funny guitar boy and they thought it was or you thought you just assumed that yeah was you. I just thought that was like what they wrote down in the thing but it turns out there's a guy named funny guitar boy yeah no I remember what we wound up going with but sometimes it you forget what the original story was because I know that it was based on something and uh yeah I I think it was probably one of these things where I showed up and I mean me showing up when they don't have a reservation happened all the time i mean that happens to comics all the time and it's the yeah. worst it's I mean, happened to me tough. a bunch of times oh and it's your it's... self-esteem gets damaged and everything you're just like what come on you, you guys don't have a hotel for me and it's like two in the morning you've been driving all night or whatever um but yeah so i think that um i i heard yeah they they had another guy there and i said i think that that's me that's not, yeah, they go, well, you know, it says here, funny guitar boy. I don't think it was funny guitar boy, but it was something like that. But I said, yeah, I think that's them just writing a shorthand for my reservation. Yeah, I've shown up to gigs where um, there were three of me on the gig. And it's just like, this is not, I mean, having like-minded acts sometimes, you know, complimentary acts, but th three identical guys doing the same, <laughs> same material, basically. Yeah. Like, this was not thought out well. I just, and that would be a very weird to show up in a comedy club and everybody there has guitars. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who booked this thing? Um, <laughs> do, do you, um, do you are you at the point where you you phone rings and and they call you up for work or do you still have to actively seek a stand up? Um, well, now I'm doing YouTube and Twitch. By the way, are you on Twitch? I am. Uh, I don't do anything on Twitch. I mean, we get maybe one view or two viewers because okay. on Twitch you have to do something, right? You can't. Well, yeah, I've been trying to do it twice a week. Yeah, and sometimes I'll miss them, but um, I. Uh, 
yeah, since I've been doing that, I've been kind of making my own hours with Twitch and YouTube and through Patreon. So I honestly am not really hustling down the live work. And part of that, the reason for that is I, I didn't really anticipate that I was going to be doing the stand up anymore because I wasn't writing anything new. I didn't have any new songs and I didn't really have any new stories and I didn't feel like it was going that great. But now I'm sort of re-energized because I've been doing it a lot uh, in the last year and a half and I'm really enjoying it. So I think I might start trying to, you know, get back out there. Uh, I got to ask about this because you just said it. Uh, you you didn't write, you weren't writing new material. Do you have to, I know comedians generally have this in their mind that they need fresh material all the time, but I know many and then you could say it, this was before the time of the internet and where people would just share stuff illegally and all that stuff. But I know many uh, very successful comedians who made a great living at it their whole life off of doing the same hour yeah. for their entire career. Well, because, yeah, you had um, an act and that was your uh, bank account, basically. You just had you had money in the bank. You could go to any town and do this act. Like it was like walking around with something valuable, you know, that you could go around and just keep using. And, um, but I guess that there's a famous story about Jay Leno and them asking him, why don't you put out an album? And he's like, why would I do that? I, if I did that, I've, I've got an hour out there that's already, that people have already heard all the punchlines since now I can't go out and do it anymore and surprise people with it. So that was why he didn't do an album. I think they but, forget the punchlines yeah i know that's the thing i my favorite comics you know i want to see them do the same bit again because i want the people that i brought to the show and oh wait do you hear this this is going to be the best you know i love watching comedy again uh yeah. when you've already heard it but so to answer your question i'm going to go to key west in may early may and uh and they even know they're the, um there's very, very few repeat people there. The chances of you playing in front of the same people. Right. It's all tours. Like that. Yeah, because they're all tours. So it's and that's the way Vegas was too. So the pressure isn't really on. But if I want to go and revisit a place like the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis, which is one of the best ones, uh Nashville, Zanies, uh Bloomington, Indiana, uh the comedy attic. I can't, I can't, those, those audiences are too loyal and too sharp and you're going to be playing for the same people and you can get away with it a little bit, but after 10 years, they're going to be like, Hey, uh, we've already heard all this yeah. stuff. So I, 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 I hear what you're yet. saying, but I, the name I was going to throw out is Stephen Wright because Rodney Dangerfield, I mean, and guy, all those guys, old time classic guys, again, they were before the internet and all that stuff. Stephen Wright kind of was right at the beginning of, of the internet type of stuff. But yeah. I was surprised to go down the YouTube rabbit hole about with Stephen Wright's material. And I, th I swear to God, I think he only has an hour in 30 years, a 30 year career. I think he's only got an hour worth of material because it's, I, in every clip of highlight clips, it's the same it's the in same. a different place. And, so. and there is this cream rises to the top thing where it's hard to find footage of somebody doing the bits that are uh, filler because why would anybody upload that one? You know, like, yeah, um, okay. but I, I don't know about his particular case, but I, I do know that that style is very difficult to, I mean, I've tried to write white one-liners 
over, I think about 15 years on Twitter, I could probably pull out about 10 minutes that's anywhere near the ballpark yeah. of what Stephen Wright does. You know, I mean, it takes a long time to write those really, really good one-liners and to fill up an hour with it. It's a lot. You, you know? know what yeah. was really weird? Uh, after going down that rabbit hole with the Stephen Wright stuff, I, I was trying to some of those jokes on my brother. <laughs> And he, he he gets analytical. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I I think he said, uh, I got a, a what the joke was. I got a paranoid retriever. He, I throw stuff, but he keep bringing everything back because he he can't remember what I threw. And my brother's like, <laughs> paranoid retriever. That doesn't make any sense. That's not paranoid. That's neurotic. He said, <laughs> like you can't yeah, you can't it. you can't be too analytical. You just have to. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's got one. Well, one of my favorites is I got pulled over for speeding. The guy says, "You know, the limit's fifty-five miles per hour," and I said, "Yeah, but I wasn't going to be out that long." <laughs> you know, it's great. It, it it's fuzzy. You know, it makes you think. But of course, if you analyze it too much, then it's like, well, no, you know, no, they mean. <laughs> well, let me give you a math it. lesson here. No, then you're killing the comedy. That's you're a comedy kill, buzz. Yeah. Kill. Yeah, you can't really, you got to be careful with analyzing. I like analyzing it sometimes, but I think it's about the unexpected, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so you're, the bottom line is you don't, you're not hustling. Because the problem, and I'm dealing with a lot of the younger, not younger, but beginner comedians. And I, when I say beginner, I'm saying five to six years into stand up comedy who are stuck in a certain level and don't know how to advance out of that. And I keep like asking guys who are more successful, how you break out of that. And, and, you know, it's always about the hustle. It's always about, you know, networking and making contacts and, and kind of all that stuff that goes into it. But there is no secret, you know, magic secret of how you get to the next level from that open mic, you know, or opener or, you know, all, all those yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some stuff that works. I mean, obviously, be good. You know, that's the best the best advice, you know. But, oh. uh, but also, um, I can trace almost everything big that's happened to me. And, and when I say big, I'm saying, like, eventually I did get, I did seven episodes on an HBO show, you know, as an actor. Um, I have had a couple of things. I can trace almost all of it to hanging out at the improv back in the nineties, you know, and then there's like a tree that happens there. Oh, that's how I met this guy who brought me to this guy's house. And then we connected and then they brought me to blah, blah, blah. And so it, it, I think you have to be out and about, and that gets harder to do when you're older, you know, yeah. you don't really want to. It's like, I've been, I was out for 25 years, probably every single night. Cause if I wasn't out, I'd feel like I was missing out on something, you know? And I think it's cool when you say you're still going to these comedy shows and stuff. Yeah, I'm the yeah, I'm the only. You know, I went to Sam Talent alone in Brooklyn. And, oh, that sounds uh, great. I'm only was, recently finding out about that guy. He is. It's his moment. He's breaking yeah. through, and it's a joy for me to see this because, you know, I I knew him a little bit before this started to happen to him, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And it's great for me to actually see it happening to somebody where they they yeah. you know they become the next level that's Take awesome. a little, little bit of a credit for getting them on rogan even though <laughs> oh doug, you doug you handed rogan sam talent's book two years ago and i saw oh. Ro rogan did this Meh. 
okay, and he t- turned his attention back to uh, to Stanhope, and he, like he didn't wasn't interested in the book. Yeah. And I I got like upset by that, and so I started. I went on Rogan's website and his form about guests, and I I made up like five hundred different personalities saying <laughs> I want Sam Talent on your show. I and, and so I'm taking that's credit great. For <laughs> yeah, well, that I mean that's big, but um, yeah, I mean yeah, he he's uh, he's definitely got it going on. But uh, yeah, you have to um, you have to be out and watching shows and meeting people. Uh, that's, that's a huge part of it, you know, and I was playing poker a lot. So I would meet a lot of comics by playing poker. And also I went to Houston and, uh, I'd hang out for like weeks at a time. It was sort of a second home for me, but every, that was during a time when every one of the best of the best comedians would come in and out every week. And so I would a lot of times be around to open for those guys. And that's how I met so many comics, you know, Right. Are you are you staying uh, in L.A. for life or are you going to move to Austin like everybody else? Uh, Oh, Austin. No, I'm not (laughs) going to move to Austin. No, I love L.A. This is my home, uh, you know, other than uh, there was the New York part or whatever. But uh, I yeah, I. uh, I don't know. I just I love the the climate. Um, I'm just sort of used to it. You know, there's. there's a lot um, that I like, and Austin's a beautiful place too. But I just wouldn't call that home, you know. I know, but for some reason, and I agree. I mean, I was there uh, in the early '90s. The, the thing to do, they were telling all musicians, "Oh, Austin's the mecca for musicians and independent musicians. You got to go there." Was very disappointed by just um, just the scene that was there, and and, and I know you know it, it's a uh, uh, an individual thing, but for me, it just it felt like. If everybody else is doing it, I don't want to do it. I want. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's true. And also now it doesn't really matter as much as it used to. But yeah, I, I gigged. Uh, I did a this uh, sort of alternative comedy festival back in October in Austin, and I had a blast. I've got friends there, and uh, it was a great local comic scene and everything like that. And I'm sure they have a great time. But yeah, I've after you've been living in a place long enough, you have your spots, you know, you have your favorite restaurants, my favorite bars. I know where to watch music. I I've got memories of being at, you know, I mean, I remember being at Barney's Beanery and my friend Susie and I used to go all there all, all the time. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's all about celebrities, but it's like Jeremy Renner used to be always hanging out there at the patio, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer with us. I think he was drinking beer, but uh, Barney's Beanery. Yeah, over there in West Hollywood, but it's like, or, or you know, I've I've had the experience of our our bartender all of a sudden sold a screenplay, and then we never saw him again, you know. But it's kind of it's it's exciting knowing that there's a lot of uh, kinetic energy around you everywhere you go, and I, I think I would miss that if I moved to another state. I mean, you've got it in New York too. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I really. I, I think I would really miss that because there's an excitement there. You know, it's nice to be near it. Brooklyn is more more the place now than than New York than Manhattan. Oh yeah, no, big uh, time, yeah. but uh, Barney's Beanery. I'm putting you. I'm putting you on the spot here. Can you name uh, the song uh, that a uh, classic rock and not classic country rock song? I guess southern rock song that has Barney's Beanery in the song. <sighs> Wow. Well, I mean, I can't even name that many. Let me just say, is it Skinnerd? 
Nope. It, uh, the band is uh, new Pretty writers. Of, new writers of the Purple Sage. Ooh. Oh, I don't. I don't think I know it. Yeah, <laughs> it's Lonesome L.A. Cowboy, but it, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, that was close though. Skinned, they opened for Skinned a lot. New writers opened for Skinned quite a bit. Okay, uh, well, yeah, I, I've got kind of a funny uh, story about Barney's, and this is kind of an LA story as well. Um, I went, I finished a show at the Improv. I walked with my guitar up to Barney's Beanery. I was fin- finishing a cigarette in front. And I was going to go see my friend Melissa, who was the bartender at Barney's. And, uh, but I figured I'd finish my cigarette and I see two, uh, what you call poodle heads. And these are the guys that, that hang out at the rainbow, uh, the heavy metal dudes, you know, and this was probably like in the late nineties and these guys had just like, and I could see their silhouettes. I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen either way. And I'm saying that I'm by myself. I'm going, they're either going to ask me what kind of guitar I've got to make small talk about that. Or they're gonna bum a cigarette, but either way, I'm I'm not looking forward to this. Well, both of them just walked right past me and didn't say a word. But when I was <laughs> when I got a closer look, I was like, "Holy shit, that's Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldrich." Wow, that's the two guys from the original Ozzy band. You know, I mean, I was probably ten years old when that came out, and I mean, those guys were gods to me. And I was like. Well, I called that one wrong. They're not going to be bumming a cigarette off of me. But then I I went in and uh, talked to my friend Melissa, who was about maybe 12 or 13 years younger than I am. And uh, I was like starstruck. I was like, holy shit, do you know who I just saw over there? And then she's like, no. And I was like, Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarza. They're like metal gods. I mean, they played in front of 100,000 people, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Tommy Aldridge was upside down playing with his hands on the rafters or whatever they did. And uh, she she goes, oh, Tom. Oh, yeah. No, Tom's great. Oh, he's a great guy. He tips real well, too. He's he's nice. I'm like, Tom. No, it's not Tom. It's freaking Tommy Aldridge. What are you talking about? She just knows him as some guy who hangs out at the bar and he's a good tipper and he has a couple beers and then he takes off. But I was like, I mean, that's kind of that's what I love about L.A. You know, I I just love that that. No, I was just going to say that is an L.A. thing because there's so much celebrity out there that celebrities become just regular people to a lot of people. Yeah, they have to hang out somewhere. Uh, And of course, that's a very old example. But uh, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of a lot of history. Oh, and and definitely my friends in Austin have told me about stories that they've run into the guys. From but my, I have had rock stars bum cigarettes off me in bars. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's always the classic rockers who, uh, this is 10 years after their career fizzled out, like Molly Hatchett in uh, 1995 or something. Uh, yeah. You, you know what? Your, your career was over in 85. <laughs> I can see why you're bumming cigarettes and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it, you yeah. Know, it, it is what it is. But um, Bill Murray I, used to bum cigarettes, and that sucked. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he was one of those guys, at, at least at the improv anyway, where because they let you smoke in the bar there. He just never had them, but he'd always go up to people. And he came up to me one time and he was just like, uh, hey, hey, buddy, can I get it, uh, get one of those cigarettes? And I'm just kind of like, all right. And he said, hold on a second. Do you want one? Give me two. Give me two. 
I'm like, who does that? No, it's like I'm just some kind of a cigarette dispenser. So yeah, I'll you, never forget that. That was it really feels like privilege. I, you know, you yeah. know who I am. I, I can just go order anybody. Give me two of anything. Well, um, I was, I was probably about 26 at that time, but there was a girl that I was hanging out with who was like in her mid 30s, and she chewed him out. She was like, uh, "You don't do that," and I was like, "Oh, that's cool. She's speaking yeah. up for me." <laughs> uh, what else do I want to? Oh, I know what I want to ask you about production on um, Highwayman. Now, oh, yeah. it's, it's non-existent. <laughs> no, it's very low. Uh, how do you do it? Uh, are you consciously color grading that because it looks like what it's supposed to look like? And well, to, to me, if I were trying to do that intentionally, it would be—I don't know—it would be difficult for me to actually cop a '80s network TV type of look to. To something. Are well, you so, some of them look better than others. I'll tell you that the, the first the first thing that I did with that is I I paid a hundred bucks. I coughed up a hundred bucks for a uh, film look uh, software or like a filter thing that that I can use in my editing software. Avid, I think it's called. Uh, oh, I should know this, but I can't remember. Film uh, Pro, yeah. Film Pro or something like that, but. Yeah, so I, I it gives you that grainy film look, so that's cool. Um, there's a few of them where I actually have a little bit of a budget. It all comes from Patreon, which is not much, but uh, I'll get a, a person to shoot it, a DP who has a nice camera. Um, and if I don't have the money for that, then I'll just shoot it myself with my camera. Uh, which is a, not even a full frame. It's a Canon 80D. And so I, so there is, there are varying levels of production. The one that I just did though, the most recent one where I had a cult leader, that one, uh, we had a really good camera, a guy named Ben Brady showed up and, uh, brought his red camera. And so, and then I put the film look on it afterwards. So yeah. we had some really cool looks. So it kind of varies, but um, but you definitely have to do that film look thing. And then yeah. the music, of course, that's more my my wheelhouse. So I'm able to like. I love write, that. I love the theme theme music out. of it. But uh, now the the jetpack thing. That, that, oh that, yeah. What? How, how did you that's, do that? Uh, that's just green screen. Yeah, you can move stuff around, and uh, yeah. So I, that's just green screen. But you got. Uh, you did it very well with the after effects making making it look like the exhaust is coming out of the hole it looked pretty yeah oh that uh yeah i think i might have farmed that out uh i i can do that myself but if i have a friend that can do it for me all the better i think we had a uh my friend orlando who does special effects did did one of them that was really good with like massive amounts of smoke and everything and i bought him like uh some scotch or something like that in exchange or whatever but uh yeah, there's a lot of favor trading that happens with it. But yeah, I mean, if you shoot with your camera doing nothing, like I did tests on it with my iPhone, where it just like, you know, go like this and go yeah, up yeah, to yeah. the top of the building. And then you just, with the green screen, you take your green screen, you know, highway man with it wearing. So I'm a grown man sitting here in my living room, just going like that. And then uh, <laughs> and you can actually just put that image on top of it. And it looks like you're flying and it, it's really stupid. It's done well. It's done well. It's done done to the point of 
Uh, I was thinking you, you probably had a crane there or what. I've done a lot of green screen no. work too, but I, it fooled me because of That's cool. the exhaust and all the stuff. The, yeah. the motion tracking on it is very good and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, it's a fun time that we're in now because all of a sudden we can do the stuff that they did back in the 80s that was really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> well, what inspired the – was there something that inspired the cult leader one now? or uh, The cult leader one – Oh, I think I, I I remember meeting a guy years ago and having who who was in one of these kind of cult things. I mean, yeah, I I don't know if it was Scientology, but one of these things. But I remember, well, like Scientology famously is doesn't believe in any kind of medicine, right? I right. believe. I think that was part of the controversy that with Tom Cruise and stuff. But uh, but so I remember talking to this guy, and he's talking about uh yeah man uh you know you're not supposed to take an aspirin when you have a headache because when you have a headache that means that your body is out of whack it's it's off balance so when you take that aspirin you're just quieting what your body is trying to tell you you should be dealing with it but i'm like well why not take the aspirin so it doesn't hurt and then you can work on whatever the problem is and then uh, the the other thing was funny is the same guy that I was talking to later was talking about uh, marijuana. And uh, he was like, yeah, I mean, I smoke grass. And I think the reason is because because he was an artist, too. So he's like, being an artist is a very difficult thing. It's it's a lot of loneliness. It's a lot of mental torture, you know, trying to get at you. Grass just kind of. Uh, quiets that you know and it makes it, it sort of and i was sort of like <laughs> well wait a second aren't you doing the same thing that you're doing if right. you have a headache with the aspirin you're just doing the marijuana so that you can and then the guy's just like look man you, yeah you asked you ask too many questions <laughs> yeah now, that's so, cool like you got under his skin see this is me because i first of all i have um history of working with cult and being around and part of my radio show was always having people who were on the edge of one cult or a fringe of one cult or another so i spent a lot of time around cults but we're living in a time right now where cult, new cults are popping up like crazy people are yeah. adopting the weirdest freaking crazy ideas and, and oh yeah and so uh, it, it, it was i was just wondering if that had if the time um <laughs> yeah it's interesting they uh, well, when, I, when we moved out from New York in the early eighties to California, my brother and I immediately started hanging out at this arcade on the corner, which turned out to be a cult. Basically it, it was a, it was Christianity, but it was a subset of it that was very odd. And, you know, they, they'd make the kids recite Bible verses. So they give them free tokens that they could use for the video games. And it was just a lot of weird, wow. unhealthy type stuff. Yeah. And of course, as New Yorkers, even that 10 years that I had in being in New York, I'm already going, what is this fucking bullshit? You know, what is this shit? You crazy cult people. Like, I, I really feel like that stuff doesn't fly back East as much as it was back here in the, uh, early eighties. It was just a, there was a I remember being in New York on a hundred street, walking home from school with my buddy and a guy pulled up in a car. We were probably about seven years old. And this guy pulls up and he goes, Hey kids, jump in the car. I've got some candy. 
it's like the, the oldest line in the book. And then my friend and I just started running, ran all the way home, like super fast. But I'm like, we even knew at that point, we're like, this guy's got candy. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, So, you know, like I, I was already kind of pretty cynical, I think, when we moved out. But yeah, no, th those cults were flourishing back then. But I, I guess you're still seeing a lot of them. Uh, I mean, there's the QAnon thing, but there's people out there. Uh, end of the world people are out there, you know, right. they always do this uh all I don't know where that cults. comes from. I think maybe to a certain degree, it sort of makes them feel better if they feel like they're prepared for the worst case scenario. They've got a plan of some sort. I mean, that's probably what these uh, Heaven's Gate people were doing. They're just it's yeah. just extreme escapism, you know? Yeah, no, everybody needs something. And, and times are so uncertain. People are so confused, all that stuff. And listen, yeah. it, could, it could happen to very small people. My wife has become a hoarder. Uh, I get two of every day i get a shipment of two of every size bottle of water or, or every kind of container of water amazon will sell because they only let you sell two uh to a customer but she orders it every day and they big jugs to two of those big water cooler things two regular size jugs of water every single day i'm gonna need a water uh, oh towel. man that's those things take up a hell of a lot of space i'm gonna need a new yeah. house just for my water yeah, maybe if you can, uh, <laughs> but I could see, I mean, you, you won't run out of water, but, uh, yeah, you, I'd probably rather have food if I had to choose the two. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm like, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to death to be on. And uh, people think I'm, <laughs> I, I am, I, I'm looking forward to it. Not that I want it to happen tonight. I, I'm enjoying myself tonight, but yeah, you know, it's well, like anything. A roller coaster, you know the road ride's going to end eventually, and at some point you're ready for it. Like, okay, I've had enough. I'm ready, and that's where I feel like I am right now with life. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, a lot of people don't get to live. A lot of people in our business, you know, don't even get to live as long to the point where they're bored of it. <laughs> you know, I, I want right to die on stage. That would be I want to. I want to die on stage. And one guy last summer did. One guy uh, in a local, he was like in a local Chicago tribute band or something. And he dropped dead on stage. And I was like, damn, he stole my fucking idea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Dick Sean, I think, went that way. Um, there was a, there's a place out here called the, uh, I think it's called the Hideaway. It's another biker bar. It's up in yeah. Cable Canyon and uh, the hideout maybe. Um, but there was a guy who used to uh, sing there and everything. And he was like in his 80s. And I, the fact that he got out of bed and went to this thing just blew my mind. Because I remember my dad when he was in his 80s and he was basically bedridden. But yeah, he eventually died uh, at, the, at the bar. Right. Uh, I don't know if he was on stage, but he was performing that night or whatever. And uh, yeah, it must have been kind of cool, you know. Or it's like I, I look at also like Tom Petty, who was very young. I'm a huge Tom Petty fan and everything. But did Tom Petty have it figured out? You know, he was on tour. He was getting ready to, he was in the middle of between shows and uh, he was doing what he loved to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of cool. It, um, now you mentioned the roller coaster thing, apparently, and you can look this up. It's not built yet, but apparently they're working on, I think in like one of these Nordic countries, like Sweden or something, they've got a euthanasia roller coaster that they're designing. <laughs> And it's a roller coaster, literally, and it goes through these things where, like, the first one it does, it's like it, 
you know, you do like a loop and you do a fun roller coaster and then you go in and then it gasses you. And so then you get kind of lightheaded and then it's sort of gradually by the end. And I think at the end, it just smashes you into a wall or something like that. But uh, <laughs> it literally it's just, uh, just kills you. They have the Jim Jones tape playing in. in the- yeah. <laughs> you just got to hope you don't accidentally get on there but thinking that it's a regular roller coaster. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Let me off. Or change your mind, like the people who jump off the uh, Golden Gate Bridge who change their mind halfway down. I mean, that's that's yeah. the worst, worst place to be. Um, well, you do they know? Because how would we know? They'd have to yeah. tell us if they did that. Well, there was a guy with, and I know we're over time, and I don't want to. Well, he survived. Yeah, a guy who not only survived, he jumped off the the Golden Gate Bridge halfway down. He decided, I made a mistake. I want to live. He lands on a shark and busts his hip landing on a shark. And the shark comes back and tears him him up. He lived. He survived the shark attack. But he fell. He broke his hip. The shark attacked him. And he's floating there with like a half a leg torn a bit off and all this yeah. stuff and blood all around them and the, the coast guard boat to pick them up and i was like at that point i would just leave to, let the shark finish the job <laughs> yeah i know well you know that was the alternative ending for punching the clown actually that's yeah. <laughs> actually yeah that story is terrifying because i'm like that's probably the way it would happen to me knowing my luck um so that's why i'm stuck here Living All right, let, let's uh, let's uh, wrap this up with that. The uh, is there going to be any more to the punching the clown side? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg and I are back to work. Uh, we've been working on a screenplay. We're we're done with it now. We're probably going to do some readings. And uh, he now is a teacher. This is the director of Punching the Clown and Punching Henry. He's a professor at uh, Savannah uh, College of Design, SCAD down there in Savannah, Georgia, and. Uh, he uh, has all these resources, you know, um, students that uh, can shoot stuff. And so he knows producers and everything. So we very me- well might make a third installment or at least a movie that's probably not part of the punching the clown story, but in the same vein. Uh, this one would take place in the 90s, though. It's a uh, get, get me a, a, a walk on part, an extra. I, I don't even need any lines. I just oh. want to- I just want to put some, all I have on, and I was going to say this about Henry's Kitchen because all I have on my IMD pages are appearances in people's cooking shows. Well, I've done more than that, but for some reason on my IMD, I'm like on uh, off the co- cuff, uh, off the cuff cooking, or so, and a bunch oh, that's of great. yeah. But I, 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 I want to be known for something more than just cooking shows. Well, we have we have a lot of sound guys in this one, so maybe we'll call you. Oh yeah, or, or you know, I don't even have to have a, like a actual title or anything. I'm just a walk on extra guy walking by, bald guy walking by in the back. That's my. my That'll be great. Have you have you done some acting? I have. I I actually uh, wrote uh, one film, which was about. It was a true story about a guy who, and this is uh, probably applicable today, a guy who was a friend of us who uh, fell in love with, with with a trans person, and all his friends were, uh, she was really hot to the trans person. All his friends were jealous of, because it was a guy who never had a girlfriend, and all of a sudden he's got the hottest girlfriend around. And then when he found out um, that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. That that's something I wasn't uh, expecting. He <laughs> he he ended up killing himself. Uh, not oh, funny. Man. But 
the the story basically goes around with all of the people who were talking about him after his uh, demise and all the stuff and realizing some of the stuff he went through. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the film was based on that. It was called Always Tomorrow because the guy was always living like, there's always tomorrow to do this. There's always tomorrow to do that. And never really chasing his goals and ends up killing himself. It's a dark comedy. Yeah. Uh, so I produced it and directed and wrote that and uh, had a bit part in it. I was also in a movie called Fiducia, which I was a uh, cameraman and editor editing on and had a very big part. I got killed in the first 20 seconds of the movie. Uh, stuff like That's that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but Well, hopefully we'll make this thing one of these days and you, you can, uh, you can be one of the sound guys in there. That would be great. And if you come at like, I'm serious about this. If you're going to do shows in New York uh, uh, or in the New York area, please let me know because I could hook some, you know, some, some gigs up here on, on the Long Island stuff just for myself so I can have, hey, I put together, a, I'm, I'm producing comedy shows right now for a local comedy club chain, you know, in the area. So that's well, great. if you do come out here, I'd love to be able to say I, I had some something to do with putting the show yeah. together, including well, some of my friends. I'm doing it more now. That's the theme of uh, today is that I'm, I'm doing it more now uh, than I ever thought I would. I thought I was done. Any uh, uh, chance you're going back to altercation in October this year? Oh, um, I don't know. He hasn't asked me, but it was such a great hang. Maybe I'll just go for fun. Yeah, I was going to go last this year, the one that just passed, but then I was working on a film for a studio I was working for. I I just got canceled from that gig uh, last Uh, week. Yeah, well, we had a lot of fun. I got canceled for making a joke about uh, Kid Rock and his cans. Uh, oh, you got canceled? Yes. I see. I thought you just got, got laid no, off. I, w- I was a COO of a studio for seven months. I made a joke about Kid Rock and the beer cans on my Facebook page. And one of the uh, biggest uh, client producers who was putting money into the studio canceled me because of that. He's a Kid Rock fan? I don't know. Uh, he's a... He, he, he called the head of the studio and said he didn't want me posting pro-gay shit on, on my wow. Now, here's the thing. The owner of the studio... got to go cancel that guy in return. I would think. The owner of the studio is gay, and the guy who, who's doing that has owned venues, where multiple venues, where every Tuesday night they have drag queen bingo. Like, <laughs> you know, none, of, none of it makes it, sense. <laughs> this is the, the the funny part here. Twenty years ago, I mean, I I drank Bud Light every night. Now I like uh, more uh, IPAs and these craft beers and stuff. But if you would have told me that drinking Bud Light would actually get the reaction of someone saying that gay shit <laughs> from a CEO a CEO of a I don't know. That's yeah. just that's really funny. But but the whole thing is so uh, silly. But but also I love that it's. It's uh, the the culture that supposedly hates cancel culture, who I've always said are the worst freaking cancel people ever. Every, I remember when I started doing the road back in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, it was the, uh, yeah, sure, politically correct people. You'd play in, at UCLA or a couple of college campuses. They'd groan at stuff. They didn't know if they're supposed to laugh at stuff. They'd feel uncomfortable. But yeah, no, the ones that would call up the radio station were like basically the soccer moms that would call up and say, uh, you know, my teenage daughter doesn't have to listen to this guy talk about his 
uh, you know, whatever. It yeah. was non-Christian type stuff. And um, but yeah, no, they they're the original cancelers and uh they like to cancel stuff. So yeah. It's uh, okay. Nobody nobody wants to give money to somebody they disagree with ideologically. I think that's what it comes down to. But don't try to convince people that you're against cancel culture or whatever. That that was nonsense, you know. I so, think, you know, it, it changed my uh, um opinion of what cancel culture is because I've been on this little soapbox that cancel culture doesn't exist. Every time they try to do it to somebody, those people only get bigger. And there are examples of that. These are people who are superstars, Chappelle, Louis C.K., whatever. Their yeah. career takes a different path, but they're still big and they're still making lots of money. But for little guys like me, now this didn't really, uh, if I'm being completely honest, it, it's not going to change my life at all. But that guy doesn't know that. And, and he, and as far as he knows, he's taking money uh, out of my life and food off my table for my family. And, the, you know, he, yeah. as far as he knows, he's ruining my life. And so I hate to give him the satisfaction of thinking that. But yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I wish I would have known how crazy the things would get 20 years ago when I was just at a bar drinking probably 10 Bud Lights in one night and just like, you know, one day they're going to fire a guy <laughs> for drinking Bud Light because it's quote, gay shit. Actually, the, the joke I was making was how stupid these people are who are protesting a company by buying their product so they could destroy their product so they have to go back to buy more so they could shoot more. Oh, yeah. And probably. also, it's like, do they not know, I mean, how Anheuser-Busch is an insanely successful. I mean, they they, they own Corona, they own uh, Modelo, and all yeah. these other beers. Mick Light, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah, you're gonna run out of things to drink. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. Yeah, uh, the whole world is becoming consolidated, and, there, and there's like radio beer companies. There's gonna be three beer companies left in the world. It's gonna be there's Clear Channel, is you know, in radio, and basically, oh, yeah. we're, we're coming down to everything is really one company with lots of subsidiaries that they don't let you know about so yeah i know oh man it's really weird it's it's very strange to get through to go through the years here and watch things change and now we got ai coming up and hard for me to form an opinion about that uh because i'm not a technophobe i never have been but I've at the same time uh this stuff uh can change things pretty drastically in a very small amount of time yeah, I've had years from now, it could be just this exact show, but we're not even here. It's just two right. guys that look like us talking well, is, predictably yep. of what it we and probably it, would talk listen, about. Listen, it might not even really be morning in reality. It might actually be evening, and and somebody <laughs> is programming this to make it look like it's a morning show. That's People possible. will have no idea whether what we're doing right now is real or if it's just predicting uh, what two guys probably would talk about in our age demographic. That's absolutely true. Well, I appreciate you getting <laughs> up extra early. I mean, real, six o'clock in the morning to do a show like this. It's, uh, you're a trooper. And uh, I, you know, I always appreciate getting to talk to you for a moment and hopefully. I yeah. Get to see you in always. No, thanks for hitting me up. And uh, yeah. I'm going to let you know next time I get to beautiful New York because I had a blast last time. That was All blast. right. I'm going to call Robert Klein after the program and say, listen, I was just talking to Henry. Can, can you come on the show now? You know, Henry, you know, Henry. yeah, make sure you tell him, all you know, he got more, more confident when he picked up the guitar. Henry, you know, Henry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'd be curious. I, if I'm part of his consciousness now, then I'd be very happy. I think you will be. I think the couple of times I've talked to him, he remembered everybody I talked to him about, even though it was months. Well, he seemed he seemed like a sharp guy, so he's yeah. probably just not going to forget. You know. Yeah, I think I caught him at the end. Though he was just so sick of doing podcasts that when I, and so he kept putting me off, put me off, put me off. I'm not yeah. doing well, but I thought, well, Henry's with him. I could say, well, I know Henry Phillips. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I carry that kind of weight with him. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. And uh, Henry, uh, HenryPhillips.com and the YouTube channel, uh, Henry's Kitchen and Highwayman and uh, all that stuff. Uh, and tell them to join our little party on Twitter there, uh, Henlips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, all That's that probably stuff. the one that I uh, keep people posted the most on the, the videos and stuff like that. At Henlips. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Henry. Uh, have, what are you going to do today? You going? You got a long day ahead of you. Going uh, yeah, a long day. Uh, I think I'm probably going to uh, go through. Uh, well, I'm going to get my my next stream ready. I've got to learn songs. I do uh, live songs, and uh, I got to come up with a dish to cook, and uh, you know, get right. some content ready. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks for getting up early again. And all right. Bye for now. You too. Bye. <laughs> The great Henry Phillips, folks. I uh, hope you enjoyed that program and that conversation. Uh, Henry's a great guy and a very talented man. And uh, been around. He's, he's paid his dues and, and knows the, the show business uh, racket, and which is why it's always important to have uh, guests like that on. Um, what is Stephen uh, Schilling is saying? Hen Lips is my favorite handle ever. Oh, I, I there's, there's some interesting ones I've been coming across. Uh, on Twitter lately. Anyway, uh, that's the show for this morning. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Um, rest of your day. Yes, it's early, right? I'm going to go get some breakfast. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Whenever that next time might be. Uh, just Rob maybe uh, on Wednesday morning is the... Uh, guest on Coffee with the Dog. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night. Don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 